Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. It's uh, great to be with you again in this capacity, as always. And uh, uh, we're kicking off our uh, new series in stewardship, stewardship of time, talent, and treasure. Uh, today, I guess in the beginning of the new year, it's a good time to talk about the stewardship of time specifically. And uh, before we get into all of that, um, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you once again. We pray. Uh, We trust that you have been honored and glorified thus far in our transactions today. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, that that would continue as we look into your word. Uh, Lord, we need you to illumine that. Uh, Show us what you have for us in your word today. Uh, Speak to us, all of us, myself included. Uh, uh, Lord, you are the one with all wisdom. You are the one who knows the way. Uh, we know nothing. We need you. So, Lord, be, continue to be glorified and uh, bless us in the process, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so, in speaking of this uh, idea of stewardship of time, uh, this is going to be the, the basic outline, the way I want to approach this subject today. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at some key verses to, to lay a foundation for the whole discussion. We're going to address... Uh, some implications of, about priorities and maybe some ways we think about priorities that, that maybe aren't the best uh, offer you an alternative view of how to think about the whole business. Uh, it's going to go through uh, the concept, the urgency of the gospel, and then we'll try and wrap it all up and give you some applications in the process as well. Uh, we're going to be winding our way through a bunch of scripture, uh, so kind of buckle up and try and hang with me because... It's a, it's a long path, but we, I, trying to paint the whole picture for you so you get a really good idea about how you can uh, be a better steward of time and even what time means in that, in that manner of thinking, okay? So starting off again with the, 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 uh, the basic elements, the key verses, this is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, our key verses are in Ephesians 5, uh, looking at how we maybe make the best use of time, uh, Colossians 4, where we're going to talk about even what we mean by time. Uh, we're going to look at Luke 2 and how where Christ's focus was, uh, and then we're going to go from there. Okay, so starting off with Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So let's start by looking at this phrase, making the best use of the time. That is sort of the key element of the whole business here today. Uh, Interestingly, if you look in the King James Version, it says redeeming the time. So what's going on there? If you uh, look at uh, Strong's, uh, when I reference Strong's, that's Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. Uh, It's an excellent tool for word study, Bible study. I encourage you to get one. I have a physical one. It's about this thick, but that, it weighs like eight pounds or something like that. I, I'm pretty sure you can get an electronic version of that, which is much, much simpler to deal with, I think, these days. Anyway, if you go to Strong's and look at what's going on in this particular verse, you'll find that key word there is exagorazo, which means to buy up, to ransom, to rescue from loss in the sense of improving opportunity. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back around to that idea in a little bit. Uh, or to redeem, to redeem actually. So this is the same word that is used in the scripture of our spiritual redemption, where God 
goes in and buys us out of the marketplace of sin. So this concept of redeem is actually the more literal correct sense of the word that's in there. And so, so what does that mean, though, to redeem the time? What, what do you really mean by that? So I would suggest that it's something like this. We are to rescue our time from the dissipation of mere worldly pursuits, from the waste of just operating at the horizontal level. And in the process, we will be improving our opportunities for eternal value. All right. And why is it important to do this? Paul tells us in the same verses, uh, redeem the time because the days are evil. And the days are evil in this sense, again from Strong's, that they're hurtful. They, they are evil in effect and influence. And so we are to counter this, this influence. All right? We, we are to be overcoming this evil with good. Okay? And this is, the, this is a, a critical piece in our thinking of the whole spiritual war that's raging all around us. I'm sure I've told you this before. If you're breathing, you're a warrior in the spiritual war. You may not have asked for it, but it is on you, right? You're in it. And you can either be getting all beaten up and, and destroyed, or you can be taking those blows and fighting back as a victorious overcomer, as a conqueror in Christ. All right, so we're supposed to be engaged countering this evil influence by redeeming the time, all right? All right, so moving on to Colossians 4 now, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, it's interesting, too, if you look at the New American Standard rendering of this, it says it like this. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Uh, of particular note is that this making the best use of the time in the New American Standard is says making the most of the opportunity. Well, so, so which is it? Is it time, opportunity, what? We're glad you asked. Because if you look at what's going on there, there's, there's a couple of different Greek words that we typically translate as time in English. One is this word chronos, and that's sort of the wall clock time. It's what we usually think of in term, when we think of time, this is what we think of. It's the sequential movement of things from the past through the present into the future, okay? This is the thing we measure in seconds and minutes and hours. But there's this other Greek word, kairos, meaning an opportunity or an opportune time, a due season, and it has no reference to a duration of time. No hours or minutes involved in that. Uh, uh, from the gotquestions.org website, excellent uh, reference, by the way, if you're doing studies and you're trying to look stuff up, it said, it said this, Kronos is more linear and quantitative, and Kairos more nonlinear and qualitative. I think that's helpful. Uh, the website A Call to Excellence said this. Kronos is about minutes. Kairos about moments. Minutes and moments. Okay. You see how this is working? Okay, so let's acknowledge that our lives are constrained by this chronos time. Okay. 
Moses said this in his prayer in Psalm 90, the years of our life are 70 or by reason of strength, 80. Okay, you get so much time in this life and then you die, it's done, okay? There's a real constraint there. James put it this way, one of my favorite verses, we've talked about this in our recent study of James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. We will live and do this and that. If the Lord wills. I find myself saying that a lot more these days. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Because I don't know if I'm going to make it to tomorrow, right? So there's these very real constraints. And besides those, there's the, the real constraint of a 24-hour day. Every day you get 24 hours. Not 25, although we wish we did sometimes, right? 24, that's it. More about that in a little bit. Okay, so our lives are constrained by this chronos time, but the word that's used here in Colossians and also back in Ephesians, the, the passage we were just looking at, is actually kairos. So I think the New American Standard rendering of making the most of our opportunity is the better rendering. Where do we go with that? Uh, from Pepperdine University on their website, I got this little statement I think is helpful to kind of process all of this. It asks, well, if you ask what time is it? It might be 3 p.m. in Kronos time, but in Kairos time, it might be the perfect moment for you to call a friend. Are you getting the difference? Right. Um, so, also, just to give you a little bit more insight about all of this, uh, in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8, this kairos is the Greek word used almost exclusively, except in verse 1, it does use chronos, but everywhere else the kairos is used. It says there, for everything there is a season and a time, every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Um, there is an opportune time for all of these things in life. Okay. Okay, so where do we want to think about this? So regardless of how much chronos time you get, 70, 80 years, Jim Gardner's getting a bunch more than that, okay? Uh, others, not so much, right? No matter how much you get, we are to capitalize on the Kairos opportunities. Um, uh, some time ago, 
Robin Williams popularized this phrase, carpe diem, in the Dead Poets Society, if you saw that movie. Seize the day is what that means. That was he, what he was encouraging his students to do, seize the day. Uh, make the most out of every day. And there are some who pack more kairos living into comparatively less chronos life. Um, a couple of examples I would offer to you. Uh, recently, you, you heard of the loss of C.J. Salazar. I went to his nearly three-hour memorial service, and it was, took so long because there were so many testimonies of the impact that he had had in others' lives. Um, lots of Kairos living going on in CJ's life in his short 17 years. Uh, similarly, my own son John had not quite 35 years, but we were amazed at the testimonies we heard out in Spokane of the way he was impacting people there. We had no idea. Packing Kairos living into whatever Kronos life you get. Okay, Okay. Um, another way to give a little bit more insight into how we do, how do, we, how do we do this, how do we carpe diem, how do we do these things? What does it actually mean? A little insight from Galatians, I think. 6.10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of the faith, the church, our brothers and sisters, Opportunity here, this is the same word we're talking about, this kairos word. See, we as Christians, we should be the best citizens. We should be the most civic-minded. We should have the greatest concern for our community and everybody around us. That's how we make the most of our kairos opportunities, by doing good in all forms, everywhere, as, as much as possible. Um, one passing thought on the, Coloss or the Colossians 4 passage, just before we leave that, because it says this at the end, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, part of this redeeming every opportunity includes gracious speech. Um, nobody has ever been uh, browbeat closer to Jesus. That's just not how it works. You can drive people away with angry, obnoxious speech. But if you're going to draw them in, if you're going to um, make Christ appealing, if you're going to establish a good relationship, the speech must always be grace, gracious, even if the other person's speech isn't so much. Right? Right? Okay, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, where Jesus said this. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Uh, I like also the King James gives a little bit different spin on it. It says, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Uh, let's read the story so you have the context for what he's talking about there. Uh, going back to verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said unto them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So when we look at that verse, the key verse, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What was Jesus' focus? It was not on the fact that the Passover was over and in the chronos sense of things, it was time to go back home. No, he was seeing this great opportunity in the Kairos sense, to kind of, you know, mix it up with the teachers of the law in the temple, hanging out with all these people who are learned in the law, asking questions, giving and taking. And obviously, being the son of God himself, he was kind of pretty checked out already, and that's why he was amazing everybody. How did he know all this, right? I want to take another look, though, at this phrase, did you not know I must be in my father's house, or in the King James about my father's business, because it's interesting. If you look at it, uh, that part about house or business, that's not actually in the original. Those are words that the translators added in to try and make it read a little bit better in the English. But it more literally says, did you not know that I must be about my father? And I'm going to suggest to you that that's actually a more profound statement, because what he's saying is, Everything about Jesus was all about the Father in every aspect. Not just his business, not just his house, everything about the Father. Jesus was consumed with being about the Father. So so keep that in mind. That's where Jesus is coming from in all of this. And so this kind of takes us to the sense of priorities. Okay? And in that vein... Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Let's read the full context of that as well. Uh, Excuse me for a second. Okay, so this is the teaching that leads up to that famous verse that many of you already know and probably have memorized. He said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, will you, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. See, the unbelievers, they're consumed with the worries of this world. It's all they know. (laughs) We know better. Right? We know there's an almighty God who loves us enough to send his son to die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin. What else is he going to hold from us? All right. Okay, so we understand this idea of prioritizing the kingdom of God, kingdom first uh, thinking, as some have, have called it. And from that, we tend to develop these kind of checklists. Human beings like lists, right? Do this, do that. And so we have these different priority lists that maybe, maybe yours is a little bit different from these. These are a few uh, that I've found. Uh, you know, God, self, uh, God, other self is a classic one, right? Very simple, straightforward. Uh, the one in the middle is a little bit more expanded. Beyond that, gets a little more specific who others is. Um, the one on the, on, the, on the far right is more looking at different aspects of your life and what you do or how you relate to, to other aspects of society, whatever. In any case, I think... They may be helpful to a degree and even supportable with Scripture to some degree, but I don't know that uh, they're, they're inadequate. Let's just put it that way. They're, they're a little bit too simplistic, actually. They, none of them actually covers all of the aspects of life that we need to deal with. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful to my old youth pastor, Ted Stecker. So if it's my youth pastor, you know how far back that's going. But, but he, he, he pointed out that, that these don't, when, when you start thinking about how you allocate your chronos time, uh, they, they maybe don't add up in the way you might have expected. So what I've done is I, I've pieced together a kind of a nominal week for some hypothetical American Christian. All right, Your mileage may vary, but, but I tried to go through a week, and what would a week look like for, for us in some aspects and how we're using up, there's 168 hours in a week. Where do they all go? And this is the chart I came up with. You can argue about some of these things. Again, for your individual cases, some of these numbers are going to be pretty far off. But I think in, the, in general, it'll illustrate what I'm trying to talk about. So we start off with sleep. All right? if it, uh, the normal person needs maybe about eight hours of sleep a night. Eh, some nine, some seven, whatever. I suspect some of you are running on six or less, maybe, probably trying to push it a little too hard. In the long run, I'd suggest that that's not very efficient, really, but you kind of get stuck in that mode sometimes. You're just so many things to do, right? But let's just, for now, we'll, we'll assume eight hours a night. So that's 56 hours total, uh, down to 112 left in the week. Uh, food. By food, I mean finding, procuring, preparing, and eating food, and then cleaning up after uh, your food. 
That's going to take a couple of hours a day, three meals a day, whatever. Some of you are going to cheat and do fast food for most of it, and so maybe you can cut some time off of that. Some of you are great chefs, and you're going to spend a little more time on it because you like to take the time to really make a great meal. Fine, whatever. We're going to give it a couple hours a day. Hygiene. Um, this includes just uh, you know showering, whatever, shaving, doing your hair. Uh, some of us, that takes longer than others, right? Um, uh, bodily functions, if, if I can say it just politely, right? <laughs> How many trips to the bathroom are you going to make? Whatever. Um, I don't know. Add it up. A couple hours a day, probably. Some more or less. Um, work. Um, if you're doing a standard full-time job, 40 hours a week plus time to get there and back, whatever. Uh, if you're a student, you got to go to school. You're going to several hours in school. Then you have homework. Um, some of you, if like particularly small business owners, you probably put in a whole lot more than standard 40 hours a week. So you can see a lot of this other stuff is going to get quite compressed if that's you. Um, even if you're not in a vocation where you're getting paid, you probably have some work that you're doing. Okay. So we're going to just give it a, a 45 hours there, right? Um, exercise. A lot of us are not in a job that has a lot of physical activity to it, and so we should be getting some kind of physical activity. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you at least get three hours of exercise in in a week. Um, that, yeah, that might not be true, again, for most of us, but okay, we'll, just, we'll use three. Property maintenance. If you have a place, if you have stuff, if you have a car, that all takes maintenance. Uh, entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, says everything tends to disorder, and all of your stuff tends to disorder. It tends to fall apart if you do not maintain it. So there's stuff to do around the house. Paint this, fix that, leaky faucet, cl just cleaning, right? It, you don't have to do anything for dirt to overwhelm your place, right? It just happens. Like it grows out of the walls or something. I don't know. But you have to constantly be cleaning to keep it clean. Uh, the car needs oil change. Uh, if you don't change the oil, the engine's going to seize. You don't really want that. Um, okay, so maintenance. A couple hours a day might sound a lot, but if you start adding it up over time, some days more, some days less. Anyway, um, General shopping, other shopping, some, somewhere around an hour a week maybe just to get other stuff beyond food. You need toilet paper, you need, you know, whatever. Um, so screen time. So let's talk about screen time a little bit, all right? Um, and, and I'm not even being critical about this necessarily. I'm just saying, uh, observing reality. Some of you will be on Facebook to catch up with friends or other social media, right? Uh, how much time do you spend sending and receiving texts in a day. Um, then there's the must-see TV, right? You maybe have your show. Maybe it's only one show, whatever, I don't know, must-see TV. I, th I think it's a little conservative, honestly, for a lot of us to say total screen time in a week, only seven hours. I think for some of us, it's a lot more. Then I th I've made an allowance for what I call lost time. I will give you an example of lost time. When I set the alarm this morning, I gave myself an extra 15 minutes beyond what I thought it would take to get ready to get here on church. I was going to be in uh, George Kenyon Dewey's Sunday school class at 8.45, and I got there at 8.50-something. How did I wind up late? I had 15 extra minutes. Where did 20 minutes go? 
I'm not sure exactly. I, it just, sometimes it just goes away. Other things, how much time do you spend looking for stuff? Right? For, right? For, for some of you, it's, it's these things, right? The keys. Where are the keys? I got to go. Where are the keys? Um, usually it's not keys for me, but there's lots of other things. And, and when it's not where it's supposed to be, it's like, where do I even start? I have no idea. If it's not there, I don't have any idea where it is. How much time is used up just trying to find stuff that we should have had, right? Or, or uh, uh, my wife and I have gotten to calling this exercise. This is the scenario. I go upstairs to get something or to do something. I get distracted, do something else, go back downstairs without having done the original thing. Then I said, oh, getting exercise. I get to go back up the stairs to do the original thing. Or I walk into a room and forget why. I, I was coming here for a reason, but somewhere from the starting point to now, I've gotten distracted and lost why I'm even here, right? So I go back, and then it occurs to me, so then I have to walk back. Okay. So I don't know, seven hours. For me, I think it's at least seven hours of lost time. Just, you know, life in a fallen world. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We have to recover from those things. Okay, all of that to make this point. There's only seven hours a week left at this point. I haven't even mentioned anything about specifically focusing on God or my spouse or my kids or whatever I got, my, my friends, the other people. These things that on our priority list were up near the top. And in fact, if I look at it just sheer hour time, Obviously, my highest priority is sleep, right? 56 hours, nothing else is even close. Work, work comes kind of close, distant second. Everything else is not even in the running. All right, so what do we do with that? Here's, here's what I got from Ted Stecker, and I think share with you an alternate view of, of how to even think about priorities. What we need to do is balance all of our life responsibilities in what I would call the kingdom context. And I think the verse that really helps us kind of understand that way of thinking is Colossians 3, verses 22 and, uh, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let that sink in for a minute while I take another drink. Okay, let's, let's pull that apart a little bit. Think about it. Whatever you do, all of your life activities, work heartily at it. That, that means to put spirited effort into it. If you're going to do it, do it. No half-heartedness. Because it's Christ you're serving in all of this. This is the kingdom context. The acknowledgement that you're doing it before the Lord. The Lord is with you, practicing his presence. You're serving him. You're doing it for him, whatever it is. Okay, so for example, Christians should be the best employees. 
even if, or maybe especially if, you have a bad boss. Right? It's easy to get frustrated when your boss is, is just a tyrant. They don't appreciate you. They don't encourage you. In, they make impossible demands on you. But if you can maintain your poise and your perspective, remember that you're not working ultimately for that boss. You are working for Jesus. He is your real boss, your ultimate boss. That other boss is just sort of circumstantial. Don't let their bad attitude toward you derail you from being an excellent employee for Christ. Now, here's another aspect of this. Even the mundane things you're doing are sanctified in the kingdom context. Um, I, in, in my younger days, I used to work as a janitor. This is not a fun job, okay? Cleaning, I work, it was a, a small Catholic school in, near my hometown where I was working. And cleaning the restrooms in that school was not fun, okay? And there's some people in here, I think, that are... are working janitorial work, serving the rest of us, taking care of this facility, right? It's not a fun job here either, friends. It's just not fun. Um, the, the, uh, the nursery workers, if you're listening over there in the nursery, you're, you're, you're changing the dirty diapers of other people's babies. God bless you. That's not pleasant work, but it is critical, sanctified work. It's a great service. The ministry workers do. And if you're in here and you're one of them, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, so it doesn't matter. Um, if, if you're working and you're, you, you have stay-at-home moms, think of what their life is like a lot of the time. Now, sure, it's wonderful to have their little babies all around them all the time. But you know what? Their little babies are messy. They have dirty diapers. They make a mess of things. They wear as much food as they eat, right? Uh, so there's all, everything is cleaning up something. Dirty laundry, dirty house, dirty whatever. And then you do all that work to clean it up only to have it get all dirty again, right? Uh, but that work is sanctified holy work. That is, when you're serving Christ doing that, that is, it all matters. It's all good stuff. Okay. Um, returning back to Ecclesiastes 3. This is what, they, what it says there. This is what the preacher said, uh, Solomon. He said, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Okay, here it is. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Uh, to do good. This is to do good in the widest sense. Do as much good in as many ways to as many people for as long as possible. Okay? Okay, so we, we, need, we need to be alert then to these divine appointments where God comes in and presents a Kairos-type opportunity to you. 
I cannot tell you how many divine appointments I have blown right through because I was just all wrapped up in my own little agenda and I didn't recognize it until after the fact, until later. It's like, oh man, that was, that was a great opportunity and I missed it. Um, so, so let's not be consumed by our chronos-driven agendas. Our time, now, now, okay, realistically, there are some constraints. Um, if you have a job, your boss probably expects you to show up at a certain time to do that job. That's a real constraint. Uh, this worship service starts at 10 a.m. If you come at 11, it's going to be mostly over. That's a real constraint. Uh, I'm looking at the countdown timer on, for my message. I got three and a half minutes left. If I run over, start, people are going to start getting edgy. I'm going to start losing you. I'm going to, the nursery worker is going to be wondering, like, when's he going to stop? When is he going to shut up so we can get done here? All right. So those are real. But we also need to be interruptible. We also need to be intentional about how we're going to approach these things. Let me give you an example of what I mean. My brother Jim, he is the lead teaching pastor at Reston Bible Church. He, has a, he spends a lot of his time sitting at his desk preparing sermons. So he goes to the gym to get exercise. But he doesn't just you know, put his you know, earbuds in or whatever and bring up whatever music. He is looking for people at the gym that he can engage in some level of spiritual discussion. He does, has done this consistently for years, and he has had some amazing conversations with people about spiritual things because it's not just about the exercise form. He's using that exercise time to also accomplish kingdom priorities. Okay. Let's look at the Great Commission. Uh, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But if you look carefully, if you study this, you'll, you'll find that go is not actually a verb there. It's a participle. It's going. The, the active verb there is disciple. Disciple in the form of a verb, which we would often say make disciples. But the concept is this. In your going, as you're going through life, make disciples. Along the way, whatever all else you're doing, make disciples. And this uh, brings us to the sense of the urgency of the gospel. Uh, Paul said this in the second letter to the Corinthians, for he says, in a, favorable, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. These terms, favorable time, this is the same word that we've been talking about, kairos. Okay, so... so um, there's a window of opportunity then for us to receive Christ. And we don't know when that window of opportunity is going to slam shut. So, so there's a certain urgency about the gospel. Now, I'm not saying go out and beat people over the head with the gospel because it's urgent you have to come to Christ because nobody was bludgeoned into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. Be poised but look for those opportunities where people are open and then share accordingly. Build those relationships, earn the hearing. 
okay? And if you're here today and you haven't received Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted in him, today's the day because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know when that window of opportunity crashes closed and then it's done forever. Okay, so I encourage you, like the song we were singing earlier, recognize that you're broken inside and give Jesus your life. Okay, very quickly, uh, summary, since I am running over at this point. Um, We must redeem our opportunities in order to counter the evil influences by doing the most good in every way possible. One thought. A complementary thought, we must balance all of the life responsibilities by putting them in the kingdom context, doing all things as unto the Lord. That's what makes it the kingdom context. Uh, Quickly, application-wise, wisely, use wisdom to tend to all of your responsibilities with that balance we've been talking about in the kingdom context. Pray for strength to do it all heartily as unto the Lord, because I know, you know, if you're like me, some days you just don't feel like it. Some days you're tired. Some days you're lazy. I, you need God's strength to do these things, okay? Pray for these opportune moments, these kairos opportunities each day, but then be sensitive to that. Increase your, as I would say, situational awareness. Look for those divine appointments each day. If you're going to do those things, I think you'll go a long way toward practicing excellent stewardship of your time in the new year. Let's let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your many blessings. We thank you for the time that you have given us. We thank you for the divine appointments you bring our way. Lord, help us to be looking for all of that. Help us to be devoted to you and doing everything as unto you. And Lord, I just ask your blessing on all these folks. And I prayed in Christ's name. Amen. All right, folks, you're dismissed. Have a great new year. Amen.